what is this going to be episode like 19 or something we've taken a break this is season two bigger badder and rustier two. than ever oh, season two okay all right <laughs> i like that that's got a good ring to it Thank you for tuning in to the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave. We're happy to have you back. Welcome to Season 2. Season 2. Took a little hiatus, you know, regrouped a little bit, got a lot of things going on, new things to share with you, a lot of projects happening. Um, and we got a lot of interviews coming up. We're going to be setting up some interviews with some people in the community that we want you to hear because we think that they're doing great stuff and we want to share their thoughts with you. Welcome back, James and Dave. How are you guys doing today? Good, buddy. How's it going? Doing Long well. No speak. Long time no speak. Yeah. Yes, indeed. This, this has been the summer of texting, but, um, it sounds like everybody's just been up to their eyeballs in their summer, summer plans, summer trips, and summer projects. Absolutely, uh, for sure. Yep. Summer we- kind of winding down here. I know for me, I'm back to school. Uh, we're going to be talking about it here in a little bit, but I just became a new dad, so that's very exciting for me. Got a, got a lot of stuff going on with that. You know, things to do. Not a lot of time in the shop, but you know, I get I get a couple minutes here and there, so. Uh, not much new out of me in the shop front, but uh, being a dad is, is certainly very, very exciting, and I'm, I'm happy to be uh, on that journey. So well, what about you guys? Quick congratulations. Yeah, you, you yeah. learn how to do all the, all the things you used to be able to do with one-third as much sleep. That's a yeah. fun transition. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm doing good though. Just been working and, um, working on my trucks or my, my power wagon, uh, nonstop since we last uh, convened. Um, yeah, it's coming along. I almost have a chassis that'll, that can, will be able to move under its own power. I still have some odds and ends to sort out, but it's getting closer by the day. And, um, yeah, that's, I still probably have six to six months to a year ahead of as far as work on that truck goes but making good progress but that that chassis is looking real nice though if you haven't checked out dave on his uh instagram parts and restoration you gotta go give him a a, you know check that out because he's got he's going crazy he's a madman he's he's got that (laughs) chassis pretty much ready to roll um you know like you said a lot of work left to do but still i mean the progress that he's made in a relatively short amount of time is is looking really good so nice work buddy thanks we, dude getting there we talk since you picked up the plymouth i feel like we have i don't know maybe, maybe not if, if if you haven't if we haven't discussed that in here i also i did a cash-free trade um i put something I, I went and looked on facebook marketplace on all the old cars and trucks and uh, I just messaged people. I had an old 1998 Chevy pickup truck for trade. And I just would message people like, hey, you looking to trade for a run- good running you know, work truck? And I got a couple bites. I probably sent out 50 messages to people within like a 150, 200 mile radius. And uh, yeah, I found somebody who had a 1940, I think it's in 49. No, 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 it's a 48. 48 Plymouth Special Deluxe four four door sedan with, with the suicide doors for the back seat. Super cool car, definitely crusty, covered in the the frame is rusty, the engine was seized completely. 
it's definitely going to be a project. I'm actually kind of contemplating maybe putting the cat, the chat, or the putting the cab um, on a four-wheel drive power wagon frame, which I've been someone offered me in Canada. I'd have to go pick it up, but totally free, complete wow. running chassis with engine, transmission, you know everything. And I have been toying around with the thought of mounting the four-door sedan chassis or body on the, a power wagon frame that would be sweet for free though i mean for free well, where in Canada? several hundred mile drive yeah canadian borders closed right now so and i don't have a passport so i've got a couple of obstacles in my way but when it opens back up and i've got myself a new passport uh i will be up in canada picking that, that Dave, frame. you you realize though you, you do not need a passport there where you're going you don't need roads Plan number A, finish <laughs> the power wagon. Yeah, I'm not going hook, anytime. Hook the trailer to the power wagon. Just ford the river over <laughs> the border, and then you can get in for free. That's a great plan. Maybe you got uh, the winch on the front. Just hook it to the tree on the other side. Pull yourself across. <laughs> Worst case scenario, I hitch it to some moose, and they pull me across the. Yeah. Uh, the, the border that sounds perfect i'm in good point good point well taken for sure <laughs> i mean it, it's it's in true restoration uh fashion that you trade away something that's perfectly good and working for something that uh <laughs> that, that looks like death that's that's a good point yeah i mean that that pickup she's a strong runner just was sitting in the parking parking um space out front because i had a more modern truck that i was using I was like, you know what? I can probably get something cool for this. I'm tired of looking at this thing. It was, it wasn't old enough. That was really what it came down to. Didn't you say though that the engine that's in the Plymouth is very similar to the one that's in the Power Wagon? Yeah, it's pretty much the exact same engine. The Plymouth's engine is 218 cubic inches. The uh, Power Wagon's engine is 230 cubic inches, but it's the exact same Chrysler flathead design with uh, a few very minor differences in like how how the engine's cooled the water pump is a little bit different but it, the block is almost identical with the exception i think that it's got a sh it runs a shorter uh connecting rod so the the full length of the stroke is shorter so you have less cubic inches i think that's what it is okay so i want to say the blocks are basically identical hmm, that's uh, very cool though yeah you you can do any more on this engine than you did on the power wagon one. I know you outsourced a little bit of it. I did. Um, and I'll probably take, send it back to the same guy to have it done up. Um, Sounds like they did a good job. They did a fantastic job. I, I couldn't be happier. It was, um, you know, it was a little pricey, but I mean, at the end of the day, if you, if your car doesn't run, uh, what do you have? Nothing. You have a big chunk of rusty metal with some wheels. It's kind of it's cool, but you could Flintstone you got, it. Yeah, exactly. you got to you got to replace the floors in the cab anyway, don't you? Yeah, the, well the cabs, yeah, the floors are completely gone, almost without exception. They're completely rotten out. So yeah, it is Fred Flintstone mode right now for sure. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, that uh, that's a perfect segue into our topic, which is what do you do with it? Yeah, um, true. We're, true. We're, not, we're not done going all the way around. Evan, I want to hear more about what you thought about what fatherhood would be like and what fatherhood is actually feeling like. Well, you know, I, I really didn't have, you know, a whole lot 
going into it, I, w- I was just excited. I was, I was ready for the, you know, the process and the journey. And I'm, I'm happy to be very happy to be a, a dad. You know, it's always been a, a goal in my life. And, you know, now that that's, that's happened, you know, I have a, a healthy, happy son and, um, he's, he was born, uh, three weeks early tomorrow, uh, September 14th, um, is actually his due date. So, wow. he was born three weeks early. Um, he was five pounds on the dot and, you know, he's a, he's a little small, you know, those of you who know me, I'm, I'm not a small person. So me getting this, this tiny child, um, but he was happy and healthy and I happy to say he passed all his tests and, you know, nothing major, no issues, which is all I can ask for. You know, my wife is, is healthy as well. You know, she did have to have a C-section, but you know, no big deal. They doctors took care of her and everything turned out, turned out well. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy for that. And, you know, being a father and having him home for, you know, several weeks now here, it's, it's just getting into the routine and, you know, learning him and getting used to doing all the things that a infant requires. And, um, you know, a lot of dads out there know what I'm talking about. You guys have been through it yourselves. Uh, the sleepless nights, we just had one of those last night and he just wouldn't go to bed and, you know, fussy the whole night, but that's okay. Um, we'll get it figured out eventually and yep. it'll, it'll be all right. You know, I, I, the biggest thing though was <clears throat> I thought, wow, how am I going to pick up and, and take care of this, this tiny little human being? But I've actually learned that, you know, you don't go crazy with them, but you can actually handle a baby pretty well and they're, they're not going to break, you know, they're pretty rugged. Yeah. 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 And he, they're, they're I'm, I'm just like happy to have him. Yeah, they can he's, take he's a pretty, lot of abuse. He's pretty rubbery, so he's pretty resilient. Yes. Yeah. Did, did you guys have enough time to uh, outfit the new the the baby room? You got your, uh, your... yes, <clears throat> we did. We we had uh, the nursery all set up. Um, there was just a couple things, you know, like a couple shelves and you know little details that still needed to get hung up. But right. other than that, it was ready to go. So that's good. Great news, yeah. man. So very, very exciting. Well, and yeah, so, but before I forget, I, I did want to say, you know, if you guys know me, you know, I love vices. So I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm the vice dad in the group here where, you know, I'm, I'm the, the vice father to James and Dave <laughs> and James <laughs> made me very proud as a vice dad. Oh. He just picked up a beautiful Athol vice and is going to put it to work in his shop and uh, i could not be happier james t- tell us about your your little vice adventure yeah so uh i am definitely behind the curve on the uh the old school big vice collection game uh in fact i have none so um basically since i've met both of these guys i've asked their opinion i usually am digging around the wrong corners of facebook looking for vices um well there's a play on words that (laughs) not that literally so but i would send vices to to evan and dave and dave would go yeah that's awesome and then evan would say uh that's you know only offer like 30 bucks (laughs) you metal me once (laughs) (laughs) nobody in new york wants wants to give away a deal so i actually went to this guy's uh place on a ad for a a fixed Prentice it was um, it was pretty beat, but it was a pretty good deal. He was going to take it for about a hundred bucks, 
And I get all the way out there and I said, you know, I'm looking for apprentice or an apple. I'm, I'm not trying to collect, but I just want a nice big vice that's got the look and it's got the weight to it. And he's like, oh, I've got an apple. And he just whips around something buried underneath his, his shelf and out comes this beautiful, pretty clean looking apple, 624 and a half. And uh, I said, okay, how much more for that one? He's like, oh, another 50 bucks. It's like, all right, done. So cool. interaction was all of four minutes. So did you get um, both of them? No, no, no. No, I, uh, I'm going to redo my workbench space instead of my chop saw having its own dedicated. I built my bench with a nice 12-foot uh, log med bench and then uh, a 4-foot by 4-foot, a 4-foot by 3-foot, I'm sorry, um, bench that was at a lower height so that I could have my chop saw next to right, the right. bench, thinking that I would have space on my bench to put long pieces of wood to then be able to cut to length. And we all know that any available benchtop space is immediately packed to the brim with <laughs> everything. So that has actually been used that way. So the chop style still remains on the floor or put on the old crappy table saw. So I decided that that's going to be where I put the athel because it's got a nice exposed corner and, and the athel's a swivel. And I can get to whatever I need to wide out in the open next to all my available vehicle space in my garage. So it now has a proud little shelf and display area. I, uh, I'll eventually clean it up a little bit. It's got some welds better on it, but the color is good. All the, um, all the pieces work. There's no major damage. So I'm pretty happy with it. Fantastic. Yeah. Love it. Great work there, James. For the uninitiated, can you describe the vice? Does it, is it, you know, Serrated jaws, flat jaws, does it have pipe jaws? Does it have an anvil flat surface on it? Talk talk about that a little bit. It does not have pipe jaws. It has serrated jaws. Uh, the jaws are a little beat. Um, one of the corners of the jaws was looks like it got chewed up, um, probably hit with a, a grinding wheel. But the rest of it is solid. There's it's um, I found with some of the vices I know Evan's just going to have the right words for it. But some of the vices out there seem to have more of a hollow built to them, where other ones are like solid cast through and through. That right. apprentice I was looking at, the underside of the, the forward jaw, I don't know what you call that officially. The dynamic, the dynamic jaw. The, one that the dynamic was. jaw, the underside of the dynamic jaw seemed to have a hollow space to it, which I guess right. would reduce the clamping force or at least lead to damage if you tried to over tighten it. This guy's solid. That's what. I kind of said, you know, just take my money. This is perfect because I really would have to crush the thing to uh, impart any damage. Plus, uh, I know one of the first things to go is always the handle always ends up getting bent. So this thing yeah. was straight and true, clean. So, wow. Yeah, I was pretty happy that it's going to be little to no major overhaul work. And it'll all just be a, a printing effort, but it can immediately get to work. So. Yeah, the, the handle... The handles on the vices are sized accordingly, so if you bend the handle, you are you are going over the limits of what that vice is supposed to do. Hmm. So if you bend the handle, you know you're doing, even though nine times out of ten the vice handles it and the handle just bends, you are technically going over what the vice was rated for. Uh, because, you know, if you bend the handle, that's the weakest link, and if you keep going, you can end up breaking stuff. That's why the handle bends, so you don't break. But more I, stuff, thought you, but. I thought you just put a cheater bar on it. Absolutely. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, do not. That's one of the, the key things. I know people 
say all the time, you know, it, it's it's your vice. I don't care what you do, honestly. Like, I'm, I'm just speaking in general to other people, but like, do not use your vice as a press. That's that's my biggest thing. Okay, Dave, if you could see Dave's face right now, he's like, <laughs> I've done that 12 times yesterday. <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah. the, the vice vice as a press, um, it it can load it up in a way that you know, usually if you're using it as a press, you also use that in conjunction with a hammer that you like hitting stuff with. And that sudden shock load is what usually breaks vices. So I would advise not using your vice as a press. There, there are presses for that that are actually made for that. So if you are in need of a press, get a press. A vice is meant for holding. And where, and where, should, should, where, uh, and where should one get a press from? Where's your favorite store to buy presses? Not Harbor Freight. <laughs> I was supposed to be the first endorsement. What happened? No, not <laughs> Harbor Freight. No. Season one apparently didn't wet their whistle enough. Harbor no. Freight. I, I mean, well, they, they do have a press, but I, I like the, uh, the older Arbor presses, you know, that have like the hunchback style. They have the ones that are made out of the steel I-beams that have, um, you know, the hydraulic jacks in them. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't really care for that style. Speaking of which... Can we can we talk about you and presses or is that under wraps? Uh, hmm, I I would wait. Let's yeah, let's wait a little bit for that. Ooh, secret juicy news for the future. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's uh we're working on that currently because I I have to run that by the uh, the department that I'm working with. So we will I will announce that news shortly. The Department of Bench Press. Yes. <laughs> so, so today's topic, we're going to talk about um, where and what we do with our restorations. The purpose of of the things that we buy and collect are they? Do we get them for money? Do we get them to collect as a part of a collection? Uh, just for entertainment uh, and kind of go through what our thoughts on that topic are. Yeah, Absolutely. this is uh, a couple folks had, had emailed us, which I greatly appreciate. That's it's awesome to get your emails. I hope everyone's sending their emails to the Restoration Podcast because the Restoration Podcast is not getting a lot of emails. <laughs> so either I need to set up another email account to forward from one to the other, but we are misspelled for the punny sake. So when you send us suggestions and emails, the rust oration podcast at gmail.com. I'm sure there are millions of fangirls and emails to the restoration podcast, but we haven't seen that. So all the all the Nigerian princes and their their million dollars are missing our inbox. (laughs) Hello, sir, ma'am. Do you have 40 crescent rest wrenches that you could trade for treasure? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> In fact, I do. It's on my floor. <laughs> that's what I do with my stuff. I'll, I'll start. I uh, I think I've said it before. Almost all the tools I collect I, are for a nostalgic purpose, but I really want to put them to use. I haven't found something that I just want to have for having sake and to clean up to the point where I display it and show it off it really i mean the universals are are crazy enough to show off all the time but i really do want them to be workhorses um yep but at the end of the day for me if they're not going to work uh 
it the history is cool but i'd probably view it as something to try and get onto a history buff maybe for a few bucks or maybe just to make sure that the story keeps being told but um most of the time uh, well i'll just say right now everything that i have to work on is on my garage floor so i uh everything that had space to be worked on and stored properly is supporting universal woodworkers in one state or another so everything i've picked up all summer is laid out on different towels on the floor at different stages of has been evapor rust has not been evapor rust does not need to be evapor rust and probably is garbage, but I haven't gotten to that committed point yet. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. All been one, there, for sure. One guy was giving away, like, 50 F-clamps, and I'm pretty sure 40 of them are garbage, but there's a pile of them that I just need to go through because as a woodworker, you can't say no to free clamps. Yeah, you can never have enough clamps. Yep. I mean, you can definitely have enough busted clamps, so yeah. at some point I need to get rid of those because it's more frustrating having clamps I can't use. There's always that project, though, where you need, where you have 100 clamps, but you need 101 to clamp yep. what you need to, to do. And so yep. you always need more clamps. Yep. I always feel like I have enough. And then when I go to actually clamp like a glue up or something like that, I am always painfully short. They like sit in a big pile in the corner of my shop. And like I stare at it all the time, like, man, I got a lot of freaking clamps. Like it's, it never, it never fails. You never have enough. Yeah. I always look at the same pile and go, I don't have any of the clamps I need, ever. <laughs> I always have all the clamps I don't need. But yeah. but to round out my situation, I don't think I've, I haven't really been restoring enough or, or finding enough things in my own personal game to say, I am getting this specifically to restore it, to sell it. I'm sure there are a few things that when I clean them up, if I don't find a good use for them, I, I truly do think I will find a home for what I pick up. But if I don't, then I'll probably sell them. I just haven't really pursued that yet because as of this point, I don't have enough time in my day to be flipping stuff. I really just want to get yeah. my, my shop to have that feel while it keeps going. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in the same same boat as James here. 99.9% um, .9 of the stuff I pick up I would say is is for my own personal use and for my personal shop um, because I I want it and that I tell my wife this all the time you know it's my excuse to get her to let me buy another tool I say there you know every time you do a project you find out what tools you don't have yeah and so I'm always picking up stuff like you know the obscure things like where you know I I could see myself using it but. I, I may not need it for six months or a year or, or a long time, but I know I'm going to need it eventually. And when, when I do need it, I have it. Um, so, you know, like I, I also do not flip as much stuff as I buy. Um, but when I do, I flip stuff to uh, further purchases that I would like to make for stuff that I do want. Um, and I think a lot of people are like that. I mean, some people make a business out of it, and that's going to be another topic that we're going to talk about coming up is doing this as a business, which um, none of us at the moment do, but we can, you know, provide some some input on what we would think, you know, would go into that. But if you're not doing it for a business, you're you're usually doing it for, you know, your own personal collection or, or getting tools that you want for your shop, uh, which is what I do. Um, you know, I do have a vice collection. I've talked about that several times where 
I buy vices that I don't necessarily use, but I enjoy the history on them. I, I like, um, you know, the way they're built or the, the manufacturer and the history behind them. So I put them on my shelf and I, I collect them. Um, that's my hobby. And I like cleaning them up and fixing them and, and getting them in usable condition again. Uh, but I don't necessarily use every single vice that I have. I do have a, a selection that are mounted to my benches and I do use, um, but, you know, just to sum it up, I, I, I personally, I buy stuff for my personal collection and, and my shop for, for me to use. And I, I love the history and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go on bashing foreign made items. I mean, there are still domestic made items that are, are junk nowadays. You know, we live in the throwaway culture and I like getting these, you know, wrenches and tools and, and sockets and whatever else from 50 years ago that are still perfectly good for a fraction of the price of the inferior new model that is available for, you know, 10 times the price. Um, so that's, that's where I kind of go with things and I have them in my personal collection and I, I just, I love being around tools, love being around vices and uh, that's, that's where I go with things. Have you sold any vice that you have picked up and fixed up? I have, I, I have sold, I have sold several vices. Um, you know, normally I either just clean them to get them in operable condition, or I found such a good deal that I just buy it and immediately post it for X, Y, Z price, you know, higher than what I bought it for just because I got a great deal and I know I can sell it for more than that. Um, but I, I do, I have restored vices or, you know, uh, use the term loosely. I've, I've cleaned up and, you know, painted and made look nice again, um, vices and I have sold them. Um, but that, like I said, that's just to further my own collection, collecting of things that I want to keep in my collection. Yeah. It's nice to be able to get a little bit of money and put it right back into, into your passion. You know, maybe you get something that it's really not your favorite thing in the world, but you know, you can make a buck on it. Like I bought two lathes one time my, when I bought my South Bend nine inch, I paid like 250 bucks for each lathe. They're both to both old South Bends, and I was able to restore both of them. I kept one, and then I sold the one for 750 bucks and made enough money to cover the cost of the first one and then some. So, so nice. it's, like, it's great, and was able to use some of that residual cash to you know find something else. Nice. I think there's kind of a, at least for me, just kind of going back to the beginning, it's been sort of an evolution. When I first started doing this, I didn't really have any tools. So I wanted to get tools in my shop and have like a little bit of a of an arsenal of things to use. Um, and as I've found more and more stuff, it's like uh, well, I find something cool and it's like, well, I already have one of those, but it's cheap. I could probably flip it and make a little bit of money on it just by doing a quick cleanup, like Evan said. And it just it sort of depends on um, what's out there. I mean, sometimes I'll find things that are really cool and catch my attention. And I certainly don't need it, but like, you never know if you like, you better to have it than and not need it than not be able to find it when, you know what I mean? When it comes yeah. down. Um, but it is nice to occasionally find when you, when you have all the tools you need to do a good restoration and you see something come across your path that, you know, you can flip, uh, and get a good profit on. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity. <laughs> and, uh, I wouldn't say that I like to do, I would do that full time. But it's definitely worked out pretty beneficially for me a few times just to find a, some cool machine that someone doesn't know what they have or just wants out 
and you can get it for pennies on the dollar and flip it to somebody that's going to love it um, and, you know, Absolutely. make it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to take away from our, our future topic on discussing, you know, what this would be like as a business, but I, I got to hand it to the guys that go out there every day and they're digging through the scrap heaps and go into estate sales and go into auctions and getting those deals, um, you know, to run their their business, um, you know, getting uh, selling tools or antiques or, you know, trinkets, whatever it is. And, you know, they're out there every day doing this stuff that we do every once in a while kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, is that what really, Jake Galati do that? Is that his full time thing? I do not know. We're, we're, we're hopefully we're going to be able to talk to him soon. We want to have him on the show. Son of the junk hunter. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a character, PJ. Yeah. He offers no controversy to our discussion. No, none. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, PJ is an awesome guy. I'm excited to have him on. Uh, yeah. yeah. On that on that note, those guys hustle and they hustle hard, but they uh, they make a commitment that their entire utility and space is in that pursuit which means that at some point or another they commit to having all of their stuff outside and becoming their their yard their yeah yeah yard. See, like I, I couldn't do that because if i if i went to auctions and estate sales and uh, dug through the the junkyard every day i would keep way more stuff than i sold it, yeah it, i'd be going crazy yeah it's the the danger of getting involved in that is you know when everything is a great deal and you know you are inundated with great deals, you still wind up spending a ton of money and you lose a ton of space. You know? Yeah, so. like it, it, it was on sale though. It was on sale. No, yeah. you still you still spent three hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well it's cool when you see those those auctions. Like I've done a little bit of auction hunting recently because I'm trying to find uh, some sheet metal working tools. I'm trying to get a, a sheet metal shear and a um and a, uh, a break uh, to do some sh- to make some sheet metal parts for this truck, and like you'll find something on you know GovX or, or not GovX, uh, Bidspot or government surplus websites where it'll be listed for like this giant you know 800 pound machine for like five bucks. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but you spend five bucks, but you still got to drive you know three states out. That's all the gas involved in that. Yeah, and they um, they never let you touch the machine. You always got to hire the rigger to get it out of there. Right. It's yeah, it's a it's a mess. So uh, it's still you wind up still parting with a ton more money than than you think you're going to. We we can. You know, we, we were talking about presses earlier. We can talk about the one press I did buy at an auction. I can't remember if I told you guys, um, but I, I bought a Greenard number three and a half Arbor Press mm-hmm. on uh, an auction website and it has the original cast iron stand it weighs 700 pounds altogether okay and you're looking at the auction uh pictures and description and stuff and it you know it just shows the pictures of it sitting on the factory floor and you're like cool you know you'll just drive up and they'll go into the factory and they said they have a forklift that they can pick things up with and load it onto your vehicle well they my friend went to pick this up for me very generously he went to go grab it for me and because he had, he bought stuff from the auction as well, and they failed to mention anywhere in the description or the ad for every all this whole auction that this was a three story building and my arbor press was on the third third floor. <laughs> okay, slight, slight curveball. Yeah. So uh, the forklift 
or whatever they had to move things was not able to get to the third floor. And there was other machines much bigger than what I had purchased that needed to be moved that were on the, either the second or third floor as well. So my friend, he brought a couple of his friends to move his stuff and they were all but ready to try to take this thing down three flights of stairs, which I do not think would have ended up very nicely. And then they <laughs> spotted it. Yeah. Floor, real quick. Yeah. So they <laughs> spotted in the, the dark corner of this, this abandoned warehouse that, that somebody had purchased and is selling all the stuff, uh, the freight elevator. And they talked to the guy who owned the building who happened to be there. And he's like, oh, yeah, I think that works. So they go over and start pressing some buttons. And the freight elevator luckily comes to life. So they were able to uh-huh. get it on the freight elevator and down to the bottom floor. But I do not want to know what the guys that bought, like, the big, you know, they had massive drill presses and 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 lathes and, and huge metalworking equipment that weighed many thousands of pounds that I'm sure people were extremely angry to find out that they were on a second floor when it didn't say that anywhere. So, so jacked up. <laughs> Eng- engine hoists and ratchet straps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can solve all the world. <laughs> Balls of steel. If, if you want to take a 700 pound Arbor press down a flight of stairs, you go right ahead. I'll be standing at the top. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, draw <laughs> well, the... to catch that one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was some, some really, some hairy stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, uh, I guess that's the quick, the quick and dirty of, you know, what, what we do with it all and, and what we do with the stuff that we buy. Um, do you guys have anything, you know, to add to that topic? Uh, yeah. I, I want to ask Dave, did, before the flywheel got messed up, did you have intentions of keeping the um, printing press or was that always a restored to sell? You know what I did? So just some background. So I bought, uh, I have, I bought up some printing press and a big paper, paper guillotine style shear out of this guy's printing press shop that was like a dilapidated and abandoned. And, um, yeah, I, I bought those at steep, steep discount to restore and keep in the shop. And I had some aspirations to maybe make some like 3d printed, like, um, what do you call them? Like press, press, I don't know, press dies or whatever, where you, you know, you put some ink on a roller and you can oh, make yeah, yeah. Cool, cool prints. That, I thought that'd be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I damaged it in the process. No, I actually, you know, I was still planning on restoring that. Actually, I talked with um, with Jimmy Duresta had had offered to help me repair the shaft. We were going to put it on one of his monster lathes, heat it, and straighten it. Um, but in the meantime, I you know found the power wagon, my dream truck, and my power wagon, and everything got put on hold. I'm literally like mid process with the paper the paper chopper it's in parts uh, mostly prime not completely all over the shop and i just had to put my life on hold anyway in the process i'm trying to be a good salesman with the concept of everything's on sale for the right price kind of deal you know so i listed that machine for like 10 times more than i got it for on on facebook marketplace with the hope that some like business would see it and be like oh we're a printing press we're a printing shop we have to have this as like lawn art or something like that and they'd be willing to pay for it because it's it's what they were after and i essentially got that deal um somebody came and they offered me 
six times what I paid for it. And so I took it. It was nice to get the space back. And it's a bunch of time saved not having to restore it and then try and find a, a buyer for it that's actually going to use it. And there's not a huge market for them. And I don't, I actually think it was probably more valuable in its as-is condition, at least for this guy. Um, but no, long story short, no, I was going to restore it and use it. But it, it actually worked out pretty well for me. I, I immediately, just going back to what we're talking about, I took the money that I got from that sale and I used it to buy the bed for my power wagon because I nice. my didn't come with a bed. And so that was literally a one-for-one one trade, <laughs> essentially, in terms of I got the money that I needed to buy the bed with out of that awesome. sale. It worked out great. So, ladies and gentlemen, this moment right here, write it, write it down in your notebooks. This is where we found out that Dave wasn't going to go to jail for making counterfeit currency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, because there's other there's other printing presses out there. It's not no. too <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man, that's funny. You know, another just another point about the rest of, you know, buying things for restoration. You know, I think some guys just want to find something that they can get their hands on and get just get dirty and and make make something new again. I think and and just as my own experience, it's so much more valuable when it's something that you know that you can use. I bought things that I thought looked cool to try and um like use as like a clickbait for my YouTube channel, like where I'd find some interesting old tool and try and make it look cool again without really having much use for it. And at the end of the day, it just sits on the shelf and kind of feel like I, I don't want to say I wasted my time, but it's just not, I don't know. You know, if you know you're going to be able to put it back to work and then use it, it's much more satisfying uh, than just having something that sits on your shelf that you'll soon get bored of and forget about and will collect dust. But your shop. But that one obscure time that somebody's like, hey, I need this. I, I don't know where to find it. You're going to be like, I have that. It's on my shelf. I'll be right back. Yeah. Or that one obscure time where restoring the 100,000th vice on, on YouTube leads to a million views and you get all the ad revenue to buy whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. That would be sweet. That that's that's the dream. There is always that. <laughs> that's it. The All right. Ultimate advice. Yeah. All right. If we to to wrap this up, something silly. If we could all pick, and I, it can't be vehicles because that's too obvious for Dave. Evan, huh. you, if you could pick something where Dave's collection spills out into his front yard, what would it be? If Dave's collection spills out into his front yard. What what do you think in Dave's future is he going to buy that he's not going to have enough room with and it's just going to be in his front yard? Oh, that would <laughs> that would have to be. Uh, let me think about that because if it, I would definitely say power wagons, but you know, we're, okay, we took that off the line. Then it would be open-toed shoes. <laughs> like he, he, he would. My toes spill out of my shop after I accidentally lopped yes, them off. Yes, not not the shoes themselves. Dave's toes come rolling out the shop. No, but he he probably has a uh, a closet um, somewhere with a a label on it that says OSHA violation. And when he opens it up, these these open toed shoes come pouring out onto the floor. You know what? You and several thousand people on YouTube can't be wrong. So I'm gonna. Go <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. 
Nice. I was gonna say I I, uh, I I've been like cautiously eyeballing like giant metalworking equipment that I have no use for but is cool and you can get them cheap on some of these government auction places. Uh, that's yeah. bad. It's- it's bad news, man. I gotta stop leaving looking. It's it's dangerous. Yeah, auctions they they catch you. Yeah. And then you're like, afterwards, well, the 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 last thirty seconds where you're bidding on stuff, you're like, oh, I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get it. And then at t minus one second, you're like, why in the f did I just bid twelve hundred dollars on this? Yeah. <laughs> now I have to Nebraska to pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Evan. Evidence. James, same thing. Sorry, one, same thing for you. I think if if you had a, a closet in the back of back of your shop and you opened it up, I think uh, big old you know ten horsepower single phase motors would come rolling out. Yes, for you. The, the four or five other universal woodworkers he's hoarded and hasn't told anyone about. Yes, absolutely. Yes, those are just going to become garden beds out in the uh, out in the fields. And so, you, you're you're going to run these motors just for the the love of hearing them run as your electric meter outside spins like <laughs> no tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they all have to be single phase because I haven't committed to a phase converter yet. One ten volt, twelve hundred amps. Evan, have you seen the the Javos Iron Worker? Uh no, I have not. Oh, the the big uh the big German supervice, the one that like Fireball Tool is making a reproduction yes. of. Yes. I've seen those videos? I've watched those videos. It's super cool. His his is going to be, I mean, it's solid steel plate what he's making everything out of, but yeah. his is going to be like, you know, 2 3 times heavier than the actual cast iron vice and it's just going to be an absolute unit. It's it's insane. I yeah, think it's I, awesome. I see you, you making ever, like uh, a mailbox out of one of those. Yeah, you know it's the kids come big. by with with the baseball bat, and then their <laughs> their arms just immediately disintegrate when they hit it from from the vibration traveling back into their body. Yes, yes. You, your have, boy's have, gonna be learning to drive, and he's gonna take the entire side of your car off because he definitely oh. backed out wrong. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I can see it. I can Evan, see have it. you ever considered as a as a vice aficionado yourself? Have you ever considered fabricating a monster vice like that just for kicks i it would it would be really cool um you know i i'm not the best welder i know how to get metal to stick together but uh the level of welding that's required um you know and and you you have to be relatively precise with it um you know if you've watched fireball tools videos he's got you know fixture plates for days we're talking about clamps he's got fixture plates and clamps he could set up the space shuttle on there with just his fixture plates and clamps uh-huh. um so he's he's got the setup for it to keep everything straight and exactly where he needs it and um you know when you're welding heavy duty plate like that you have to have the correct setup because no off the shelf you know harbor freight welder is gonna keep that keep that together you need the heavy duty stuff yeah for sure that's a lot of, a lot of heat needs to go into those things to get them to stick for sure. Yeah. There's like different. I, I don't know all the specifics, but there's there's different levels of certification where, um, you know, you have to get certified to weld certain thicknesses of plate, um, and in different positions. Like you know, there's upside down, there's sideways, there's, um, 
you know, inside a tube, outside a tube, and you right. have to get, you know, practiced and certified to do all of those. And if you're able to weld up to three-quarter inch thick plate, you know, you're, you're not able to weld one-inch plate because that requires a different, um, slightly different set of skills. And uh, I, I am a hack welder. Uh, in Rose Float, the way that they inspected your welds as you were getting up to, to speed on welding is they take the pieces that you welded together and chuck them across the lab floor. And when they yeah. hit the ground or hit the wall, if they exploded, then it failed. Nice. That's a good thing with an x-ray. Yeah, it's almost Very cool. Yeah. But uh, – uh, just ended up putting like four extra layers on and you call it good. Speaking of putting together your own vice, um, you know, going off of fireball tools videos, if, if I had a water jet that could take a four by eight sheet of one inch thick plate, <laughs> I would be doing a whole lot of stuff. I tell you that. So, Oh yeah. That's a huge game changer. When you get in a drill press for your, uh, or not a drill press, uh, end mill for your, uh, garage. The, the, uh, the milling, milling machine yeah well um i wanted i wanted to get that uh over the summer but the 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 wife the better half um said you know hey evan you know she, we had the talk unfortunately she uh. said we're we're having a child um i know i know you really want a milling machine but we need to kind of save that money for uh child things which ultimately is the is the correct choice but i had my my uh, three-year-old pouty moment when I realized I wasn't going to get my milling machine over the summer. So you didn't take that and capitalize and buy like seven clamp-on vices to make a little mobile for his crib. <laughs> I should have. I should have. Uh, the, the the sharp That's... edges and and metal things. Um, the more I think know. about that, the funnier it is. Yeah. <laughs> have him have him hanging. Yeah. That would that would be pretty cool. But all strung I, together with like aircraft cable. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't want to have to explain the uh, the thud and the very loud crying at one in the morning. No, there'd um, be no crying. If the baby would yeah, be. It'd be. It'd be over. Yeah. Double check your knots. Yeah. Uh, can't tie a lot. All right. <laughs> oh, this is the part of the show where all of our children are making it obvious that we are weary and winding out of this. So, but we do really appreciate you guys for. Uh, listening to the restoration podcast and know we took a little bit of a hiatus there but welcome back to season two um, we got some great stuff planned coming up interviews new topics uh, once again if you guys have any thoughts this is where we got the thought um, for this episode was from an email from from you guys you're the listeners um, so please make sure you hit us up at the restoration podcast at gmail.com as well as on instagram at the restoration podcast uh, we really appreciate your listenership, and we hope you're enjoying the content. If you're not, please tell us. Uh, give us some some feedback. We would love to hear it. We really appreciate it. Yeah, the best thing that you can do for us is share it with like-minded folks. Give us a shout-out on uh, Instagram. Show us what you're doing, what you're up to. We always like uh, seeing into your spaces and seeing what you're fixing up. That's it. We really appreciate you guys. You're awesome. Absolutely. Stick around. There's more coming. Thank you for tuning into the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. See ya. Bye. And bye. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm spent.
sure it wasn't tire. <laughs> Dave, I, I just meant your head going down and then you just being asleep still on the call. You're just gone. <laughs> asleep right there. Go on ahead. Here's a topic. <laughs> Evan, is, it, is his screen frozen or is he just not moving? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see him breathing. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> no. <laughs> So are you uh, – when is she going to let you get the milling machine? <laughs> no, well, that, that's the, that's the million-dollar question. Um, it's a thousand-dollar thousand question. Yeah. <laughs>